Father, we come and we align our lives up with the Word of God. That Father, we are always challenged, always encouraged, always nurtured into a, a deeper intimacy with you. Father, you are a God who is jealous for our affection. Lord, you want to be in intimacy with us. You want us to have a lifestyle that is committed to you and you alone. And so today, Father, we as your people, we come and we say, Lord, have your way in us. Lord, search us, test us, try us, see if there's any wicked way in us so that, Father, we can walk in the ways that you've ordained for us. Father, today as we open up your word and share about the principles that you've set before us, Lord, may it just not be concepts, but may it be life-changing principles that permeate the depths of our heart and our being and transform us into your likeness. Lord, would you move in power over us and through us and within us today so that the words that are spoken here are not just into the atmosphere, but they strike into the heart of each and every one of us so that, Lord, we are closer to you at the end of this time together today. And we ask that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. We've been looking at this theme for 2014 of God shifting our lives. And I think if we take the H out, it's also a good word too, because we're allowing God to sift our lives, to look at every aspect of our life and weigh it up and for God to decide, you know, if we are really walking in the ways of God and if there are things that he wants to change and renewing us. So we've sort of been rediscovering the kingdom of God, going back and sort of saying, well, Lord, what does it mean to live for you? What does it mean to be a, a child of the King of Kings, how does that work out in our lives? And it's all about trying to realign ourselves to walk in kingdom lifestyle. That does not mean we live in the ways of the world six days a week and then we come to church on Sunday, put on a spiritual religious face and then we walk out and nothing's changed. That's offensive to God. What God is looking for is kingdom-minded, kingdom-hearted, kingdom-action people that are not bound up in traditions, that are not religious, but have a vibrant, powerful relationship with God Monday to Sunday. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's the design of God. He didn't want us to come on Sunday morning and have two holy hours and then the rest of the week be laid aside. We are to walk in the fullness of the Spirit of God day and night. And that's God's design for us. So we want to break away from traditions and religion and we want to take responsibility for allowing the Lord to search us and to try us and to test us. And if there's areas in our life that don't stack up in a kingdom framework, then the responsibility is on your life and my life to do something about that. We have to take ownership. If we're not living the kingdom design then we need to realign our lives or, or break things down, smash them down if we need to, do the hard yards to get ourselves back into alignment with God. And it's all about growth and refining and it's all about positioning yourself where God can grow you and stretch you. So if John had never gone to Fiji or never stepped out in faith or tried to do something new, he'd have never encountered God in those new ways. It just wouldn't happen. He could have cruised through life, but he made a choice to do something new and fresh in God. So really the kingdom, living in the kingdom, is about establishing a consistent flow of God's presence and his power in our life all the time. You get that. 
So it's allowing God to sift, then shift our priorities so that the kingdom of God always runs first. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all the other things in life will be added to you. But you have to seek God's kingdom first. Not second, not third, not fourth, not fifth. And I can guarantee you today there are many of us that do not have the kingdom of God first. We may look like it, but we won't. And that's the challenge, is to really ask ourselves the hard questions about where we stand with God. It may necessitate a change in our focus to get ourselves into a right perspective of kingdom living. So if we are kingdom people, then we have kingdom marriages. And people should be able to look at our marriage relationships and our family dynamics and see something different between who we are and who the world is. So if there is strife and arguments and swearing and conflict in your family dynamic, something is out of order. It may happen on the rare occasion, I'll give you that, but it should not be a consistent pattern in your family. Your marriage should be a marriage of intimacy where there is a love relationship that has great power to it. That when people look at your marriage, they should be able to say there's something different about that couple, the way they speak to one another, the way that they relate to one another, the the way that their family functions should be different. It should be based on kingdom principles of love, acceptance, forgiveness, tolerance, patience, grace, mercy. All those things should be evident in our families, in our marriages. And if they're not, then we're not kingdom living. We are really not. And that's the challenge for us. As parents, the way that we're nurturing our children, are we speaking life into them? Are we training them in the ways of the Lord? Are we raising them up to be even greater than we are in the faith? Are we putting them in the places where they're stretched to grow? Or are we hanging on to them so tight and smothering them? We need to see our young people grow and we need to do everything that we can to see that they get so much more than we ever did in our upbringing, to train them in the ways of God, to make sure they know who the Spirit of God is, to make sure that they understand spiritual gifts, to make sure they understand the presence of God so that when they come to church, it's not just looking at a whiteboard, they're encountering God and they're an instrument in the hands of God to be powerful. We're responsible for that as parents to train them in the ways of the kingdom of God. When we go to work, we should be like a light, a beacon in those dark places, more than in our own homes. Like when we go into darkness, people should see that light in us. They should see something about us that speaks volumes about the kingdom of God, the way we respond to our work colleagues, our integrity in the workplace, the words that come out of our mouth, the things that they watch us do. They should all speak kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. And then the way that we operate here as a body of Christ should be the ultimate pattern of the kingdom. This is what the writer of Hebrews says. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble or defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral immoral or is godless like Esau. There's this constant challenge in Scripture. Every page you turn to live kingdom, to be full of the kingdom, to know what the kingdom stands for and to be an ambassador 
for that kingdom. And that may necessitate a change of pace so that we make enough space and enough time in our lives so that we can fill ourselves with the things that will equal kingdom life. I don't think God's design for us is to be so busy that we don't have time to read his word, so busy that we don't have time for worship, so much unravelling at the seams that our lives are chaotic. God is a God of order. And a kingdom functions on order. And we need to be a people that are smart enough to go. The world's running at 110 miles an hour. I've got to come back to about 70 miles an hour so that there's space to fill my life with the things of God. So if we can do that, I can guarantee you that you will be living on the other side of normal. The other side of what the world says is normal is the kingdom of God. And that's the design of what we're trying to work towards. So nine weeks into a new year is a good time to ask ourselves, has anything shifted? Has anything actually changed? I can't answer the question, but I know it's the right question to ask. (laughs) They're big questions to ask. Am I serious about the things of God? The Bible says that we should be consumed with zeal for the house of God, for the things of God. We should be so passionate about the kingdom and about the king that we serve. Are we being proactive? If we need help, are we getting it? If our marriage is struggling, are we going and seeking the help that we need? Or are we just pretending that it'll go away? Because it won't. God sometimes helps those who help themselves. (laughs) You know, we we need to take a step forward and say, Lord, I'm struggling. Get some help, get some counsel, get some prayer. Put yourself in a home group, make yourself accountable to other people. Put yourself in a position where you will grow, where you will be watered and when you will sprout new life. And I think the other real thing that we need to ask ourselves is, are we being responsive to God? Because when God starts to speak into our life, when he starts to ask us to step out, when he starts to ask us to deal with things, we need to respond to that. It's very easy to say, no, Lord, I'm too busy or it's too hard or it's too painful. But no, it's not. In the kingdom of God, we are always growing. We're always changing. God is always, you know, refining us and purifying us. We are on a pursuit of holiness and that never ends. You never get to a place in your life where you go, I think I've made it now. Because when you do, God will show you that you really haven't. And there's more, but it's a great journey. And I want to encourage you to take that journey with both hands and let God do new things in your life because you own the keys to your own life. And God, I believe, as a church is saying to us, we need to shift. We need to change the things that need to be changed. We need to embrace the new things that God is doing. And I believe He's, he's there. He's inviting us. He's wooing us, asking us to come into a deeper place with him. But we need to respond. Did you hear the difference in the worship this morning? There was a difference. God was wooing us. God was drawing us into intimacy with him. Now that's a choice that you and I make. We can stand there, disengaged, or we can open our hearts and let the king of glory come in. And when he comes in, worship is something transformational. It's really beautiful. 
And I believe God wants to meet us as a church today. I really do. Now, sometimes when I prepare a message, I get the beginning and I get the end and I get everything in between and I'm pretty confident where God wants to go. This is not one of those days. (laughs) I've had the same verse going over and over and over and over and over in my head and I'm going to share the little bits that I've gleaned out of it, but I don't know what God wants to do at the end today. But I know he wants to meet with us. So let's just get into it and we'll open it up at the end for the Holy Spirit to move. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. That verse has been going over and over and over in my heart and mind. And I've been just asking, Lord, so what does that mean for me? We've been talking about this kingdom, this kingdom where God has come and broken, you know, heaven to earth, where all things are possible, where we are ambassadors of that kingdom, we're recipients of the power of God, we're recipients of the presence of God, we have a purpose and a destiny in God to advance the kingdom, you know, healing power, speaking life into people, sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, setting captives free, seeing lives change. It's an incredible concept, this kingdom. And when we grab hold of that kingdom, it cannot be a kingdom to be shaken down. It cannot be broken. It cannot be smashed. It cannot be moved. It's immovable because it's God's kingdom. And when we lay hold of that, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, then this is our response. Let us be thankful and so worship God in reverence and awe. So our first response when we understand this immovable, timeless, eternal and formidable nature of the kingdom of God should have this continual thankfulness in our hearts, a gratitude to what God has done, what he is doing and what he wants to do. It's like a deep, deep indebtedness to God. So when we come in here on a Sunday morning or when we turn our iPod on, we listen to worship or we read the word of God, something transpires within us that is just this overwhelming gratitude that God saved me by his grace and mercy, that there was nothing I could do to earn the favour of God. I cannot win it. I cannot earn it. I cannot strive for it. It was God's redeeming gift to me. And that truth of the kingdom of God breaking into my life should make you and I incredibly thankful for all God has given to us. We are a blessed people. And if you don't believe that, come with me in September to Fiji and I'll show you how blessed you truly are. We don't live in poverty. We want for nothing. We have a welfare system that we can walk into Centrelink tomorrow if our world falls apart and they'll hand us a lifeline. You don't get that in 99.9% of the countries in the world. We are a blessed people. We have so much to be thankful for. So much to be thankful for because we know about the kingdom. We know that the kingdom of this world is all about materialism and puffing yourself up, but we know the kingdom of God takes even the humblest person and makes them great. That's why we should be so thankful to know that we have the privilege of serving the King of Kings as a king ourselves and as a priest, ministering the grace of God to others. 
What a beautiful kingdom we belong to. And the second response, when we understand the immovable, timeless, eternal and formidable nature of the kingdom of God is that we need to be a people of worship. And the writer of Hebrews even went to the point of describing what that worship looks like. He said reverence and awe. That's true worship, reverence and awe. And when we use that word reverence, it really is, the word in in Greek is shamefacedness. In other words, we look low. We cannot lift our eyes to look at God because we are so aware of his holiness and our lack of holiness that we are overcome with a dread and fear of God. Not fear to run away, but but a fear that draws us near to God because of his wonder and awe and his holiness. We are drawn to God. You know, many, the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And in our lives, we don't go, oh, God is so terrible, I'm going to run away. We say, God is so different from me. He's so utterly pure and holy and righteous that I am drawn to be like him. And I want to put myself in the light of God so that the, any shadow of doubt in my life, is, is there's light on it and I can deal with it and I can draw even more into the intimacy of God. That's worship. It's not worship where I'm fearing in the corner and cowering away from God. I'm coming humbly and saying, God, I want to be just like you. Mould me, shape me, search me, try me. Move any obstacle out of my life so that I can come and meet with you in reverence and awe. Some of you came to the Ken Fish seminar a couple of weeks ago and we had a worship time afterwards. The presence of God came in that meeting and there was reverence and there was awe. And it comes out of our pursuit of holiness. He is holy, so therefore we must be holy. And that's the daily challenge, isn't it? God, I want to be more and more like you. And then the last part of that verse is really the one that's been gnawing away at me. Is He says, because our God is a consuming fire. And so by describing God as a consuming fire, it's really a reference back to the Old Testament. It's actually a reference back to the second commandment, that the Lord, our God, is a jealous God. This was the commandment that was given through Moses to the people of Israel. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. And then when Moses was about to die, he reiterated that covenant to the people and he said, be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. Do not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. And so there's two things that I believe come out of that. The first is that in his jealousy, God will not tolerate rivalry or unfaithfulness in our lives. God's not going to compete. If we want to set idols up in our life that are above God, he'll let us go. He'll let us do it. But we will suffer the consequences for not having God first and foremost in our lives. He's a jealous God. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. That's a real challenge for us in our culture, not to let other things slip into the priority above God, isn't it? It's so easy. 
We might not worship a statue in a corner like a Hindu person, but we may worship the television or our business or something that comes above God. It's still an idol because it's getting the affection and the time and the attention that God is crying out for Himself. He wants us to give that to Him. He wants us to be consumed with that. And in His jealousy, God makes an exclusive claim on our love and allegiance. We sing this song so often in the life of our church. You won't relent, God, until you have it all. My heart is yours. I set you as a seal upon my arm, upon my heart. You know, and many waters cannot quench this love. So Lord, come and be the fire within. That's a, a, a really dynamic song that we sing, but it's really a song talking about how God wants our affection. He wants our intimacy. He wants to be so one with us that he will not relent until we were in that place with him. That song comes out of the book of the Song of Solomons and it's, uh, it's, it's sort of talking about a love relationship between a lover, two lovers. You want to flip the next slide on for me, please, Sam? It describes a covenant relationship where the lover and the beloved express their unbridled affection and devotion for each other. It's really an imagery of God's love for Israel and Israel's response back to God. But it's also a picture of Jesus' love for the church and what our response should be to God in terms of worship. Remember, it's worship in reverence and awe. So God wants our affection. He wants our attention. He wants us to come and adore and worship Him and fall down before Him in that state of reverence and awe. And we're responding out of a love relationship for God. So setting a seal upon your arm or setting a seal upon your heart is really branding yourself saying, my heart is yours, Lord. I'm after you, just as you are after me. And God will never fail. He'll never fall short. He'll never stop loving us. He'll never stop pursuing us. He'll never stop wooing us. He will come after us again and again and again and again and again and again. And He won't relent. And He won't relent. And He'll bring things into your life. And you'll hit the wall. And hardship will come. And troubles will come. Until you get yourself into that place where you're one with God. He won't relent. He won't relent. You can run to the deepest ocean. You can hide at the uttermost parts of the earth. You can go into the deepest cave and try and hide, but God won't relent. He will come after you because He loves you with a passion. He's a jealous God. Have you ever been in a situation where you love someone and you know that someone else is paying them attention and affection in the wrong way and that jealous beast rises up within you? Jealousy can be a great thing. I'm jealous for my wife's affection. I'm jealous to have her attention and her attention alone. But it's nothing like the the jealousy God has for my heart. Mark, what are you doing messing around over there? Mark, what are you doing putting those idols in your life? Mark, what are you doing wasting your time over there? Come and love me. Come and spend your life on the things that I have put before you. Stop wasting your life away on the things of this world. That's the voice of the lover drawing us in to intimacy with him. Because our God is a consuming fire. He wants to consume everything in our life that is not pure and righteous and holy. And he wants to burn it out of our lives so that we are holy. 
when we come here on a Sunday morning, as each one of us is pursuing God with that zeal and passion, you bring that multitude of people together with a hunger after God, then this place should be like holy ground. We should be almost frightened to open our mouths with the presence of God. I mean, that's what it was like in the Old Testament, wasn't it? And the New Testament says that the glory that Moses had is nothing compared to what God wants to do in our lives. So I believe God is drawing us as a church and saying, hey, we've done so well so far, but there's a deeper water. There's a deeper love relationship. There's a deeper intimacy that I want with you. But it's going to be coming out of holiness and our pursuit of holiness. I hear many people in the church say, we want to see God's power. We want to see God move mightily. You want to know how to see that? Get yourself pure and right before God. Then you'll see power. You cannot short circuit. You cannot be unholy and see the power of God. It doesn't work that way. The reason why we're not seeing the power of God is because we've polluted and contaminated our lives with the world and spiritual things and we've tried to get to God with the mismatch. You cannot. It doesn't work that way. Think about Moses and all the rituals that the priests had to go to just to be pure enough to get into the Holy of Holies. One day of the year. And we want to have that same presence of God around us and encounter God, but it only comes as we worship God in purity and holiness. Because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So that degree that, of love that... No, back, thanks, Sam. That degree of love that God has for us is jealousy as demanding as the grave. The grave does not give up its dead. You can stand there and you can yell and you can scream and you can throw yourself on the coffin and you can do whatever you want to try and get that body to come back to life, but it won't. And it's the same sort of love that God has for us. He won't give it up. That's an incredible encouragement to us that God pursues us like a lover and he wants that intimacy with us. He will not surrender in pursuing that intimacy with us and all he wants us to do is respond. And say, thank you, Lord, that you love me that much. Thank you that you've got my world in the palm of your hands. Thank you, God, that your grace is sufficient. I want to worship you in reverence and awe. It is a love that burns like a blazing fire. And many waters cannot quench this love. I don't know what God's love looked like if you put it on a table, but you could pour a fire truck of you know, water on it. You could put it to the bottom of a lake. You could put it in the deepest sea, but it wouldn't quench God's love for you. Nothing's going to stuff it out. Nothing's going to extinguish it. God's love for you, it burns. He's a consuming fire. It burns for you. It burns strong and hard. It's relentless. And we can even get on the wrong side of that and feel condemned about it or we can get on the right side of that burning love that God has and receive it. That's our choice, isn't it? Which side we want to be on. And it is a love that only God can kindle within us. He wants to let those fires burn in our life. So really, kingdom living begins with a deep expression of worship love. It's not about what we do. You know, the kingdom of God, God's prepared good things in advance for us to do, but they're not before we come into that relationship. We've got to be in that love relationship first, and it's out of that that we serve God. 
We don't serve God to get the love. The love's already there. And the Spirit of God's already moving. If you look around the room, lots of people are beginning to cry. Because God's love is real for you. God has not forgotten you. He has never forgotten you. His eyes have never turned away. He's always been pursuing you. And he will never stop because he loves you. You try to get in between me and my wife, I'll do anything I have to to protect that love for her. But it's only a small glimpse of what God's love is for us and for you and me. He burns with passion for us. He really does. In all our mess and all our you know, brokenness and all our failures, God's looking over and above that. And he wants us to draw in to a deep love relationship with him. So kingdom living is centred upon the revelation of God's holiness and our pursuit of purity. And when we get that, we'll get the power and the presence of God that we so desire. The pursuit of holiness is really the key for all of us going deeper. Thanks, Sam. So who may ascend the hill of the Lord or who may stand in his holy place? Only he who has clean hands and a pure heart and those who have not lifted up their soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully. That person shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Thanks, Sam. So as I've been looking at that verse, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. The fire of God is always linked with the presence of God. And the fire of God can come as a refining fire where God sees the sin in our life and he wants to come and refine that like you would refine gold. And he wants to make that life of ours so pure. He wants to burn up all the dross, all the sin, all the failures, all the mistakes, all the shortcomings. God wants to come and burn those so that they don't exist anymore. The fire of God quenches those and extinguishes those. But there's also a sense in Scripture that the fire of God is about fervour. It's about serving God with passion. A divinely sparked blaze, not a human generated blaze where I try to G myself up to be a man of God or to serve God. No, this is a fire that starts deep within your spirit and soul that God lights within you. And believe me, when God sets a fire within you, it'll never get put out. It'll never get put out. If God sparks it, he'll flame it, he'll fan it and it'll burn and it'll burn deep within you. And there's also a sense that wherever God is moving in fire, it's to flame within us the things that God has already put in there. Like Paul said to Timothy, fan into flame the gift that you received from the laying on of hands. There's always a sense that we should be pursuing fire because John the Baptist said, there is one coming after me that will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. We don't get taught about that very often, do we? You get taught that we need to receive the Holy Spirit. But what is fire? <laughs> John made a distinction between the Holy Spirit and the fire. We need fire 
to be refined. We need fire to live this life. We need fire so that we don't burn out. We need fire so that we are stoked with the power and the energy of God to live this life that he's called us to. And that's as far as I got this week. So I really don't know what God wants to do, but I know he wants to do something today. Now, I don't know whether it relates to that. I don't know whether there's a sense in your life that there are still some things that God needs to deal with in terms of sinfulness or waywardness, that you can't really stand here this morning and say, I have clean hands and a pure heart. Maybe you need the fire of God to come this morning and cleanse and purify your life. Maybe it's a sense that you're not burning with fervour for the things of God. And that you really need God to come and rekindle that love, that deep love relationship that he wants between you and him. Because he won't relent. The question is, are you going to respond? Are you going to set him like a seal upon your arm, upon your heart? Are you going to let that fire come and burn within your life this morning? Remember the words of that song? Come be the fire inside of me. Come be the flame upon my heart. That's the cry of a true worshipper. Come with the fire, Lord. The fire that's going to expose. The fire that's going to empower. The fire that's going to breathe life into this weak little being here. Why don't we pray? I just believe this morning that we need to open up some space to let the Lord speak through the body. It's okay that I don't know what to do next because the Lord does and his spirit will prompt people in the life of this church who might have a picture or you might have a scripture verse, or you might have a word from the Lord. That's okay. That's what we want to see. We want to see the body of Christ respond to the word of the Lord today. So Holy Spirit, we know that you are God eternal. And we pray, Lord, that you would come and speak into our lives. that, Lord, sometimes it's like a jigsaw puzzle. You put the pieces together so that we get the full picture of what you want to do. And, Lord, my prayer is simply that today we wouldn't finish before you've finished, that we wouldn't lag behind or we wouldn't run ahead. But, that, Lord, you have a beautiful tapestry that you want to weave here this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak with clarity, that you would speak with power. And, Lord, that I... My prayer is that you will find on the receiving end of that word a people whose hearts are so yearning, so hungry for you, Lord God, that we're not fearful of man. We're not fearful of being insignificant people. But that, Lord, you have good things for your people. You want this church and you want us as a people to go deeper than we've ever gone before.
And you want us to experience you in ways that we never have before. And it's never something that we should be fearful about. Because our God is a consuming fire. And if our God touches us, then it's going to burn. And it's going to bring heat. And it's going to bring power. But Lord, that's who you are. And we must worship you in spirit and in truth. We cannot make you into something that you're not. We need the fire of God. There's not one person here today that doesn't need more of God. Not one. Mark included. I need more of God more than I ever have before. Because God is going to come and shake this earth. And his judgment's going to come. And I want to take as many people in my train with me to the kingdom of glory. So Lord, have your way here today. Have your way, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I just got up, um, just sitting down the back there, and I was thinking um, of something that I shared during home group just this week. And it was so in line with what Mark was preaching, and as he began to speak and say, I know the beginning and I know the middle, but I don't know the end. And it just so encourages me that we don't have to know it all, none of us. We don't have to know it all because we're a family and one might have the beginning, one might have the middle and one might have the end, but it doesn't matter because God gets the glory. That's and right. that's, that's what matters. Thank it's you. not about Mark, it's not about Cheryl or anybody else here. We're a family and unless... We're all working and functioning. We're not going to be effective as God wants us to be effective. So in the light of that, I went through an experience years ago and I think to this day I don't know fully who God was dealing with in that experience. But I found myself by the grace of God being live, living in a, a house that I found out later was a, an Anglican manse in Lilydale, And it, this house had some serious, serious presence of God on it. And I found myself um, on... There was many occasions where I was touched by God in this house, just literally. And on one occasion, he woke me up very early in the morning. It would have been one or two o'clock in the morning. And for the first time in my life, in 15 years of walking with God, I experienced the fear of the Lord and the fire of God. And it was the most terrifying thing that I've ever experienced in my life, but not a terrifying thing without hope, but a terrifying thing with hope, if you can imagine that. And I found myself with my face literally buried in the carpet, shaking like a leaf and knowing that without Jesus I was without excuse. I was naked and bare and the only thing standing between me and that fire that I deserved was Jesus. That was the, the thin, thin line that separated me. And I was in no doubt at all that if Jesus wasn't there, I wouldn't be there. I would be a puff of smoke on the floor. And I think there's a danger in the church today 
that we teach, I'll call it an unholy grace, that it's grace but not grace as grace is because it treads lightly underfoot, as it says in Hebrews, the enormous price that God paid for us to have that grace. And we have an attitude to holiness and holiness in our lives and priorities and all of those things that Mark was talking about. If it, it's okay. It's okay. I'm covered by grace. And we get up every day and we say that to ourselves. And it's profanity to God what we're saying. Because it's just saying that your son's blood was cheap. Your son willingly poured out his blood and I count it as a cheap sacrifice because I rely on it day on, day out, day on, day out. And this is while the Holy Spirit's convicting people that he's treating his blood so cheaply and that's profanity to God. And God is serious, deadly serious about the holiness of his people. I've treated the blood of Christ cheaply at times. And God just wants you to know that he's serious and he is a consuming fire. And there will come a day, and it's not popular to preach it, but there will come a day when the protection of Jesus and the grace of Jesus is removed and the judgment will begin. Mm. And no one knows the hour nor the day. That's right. Um, two things well more than two things but so I really felt like God was saying um, that scripture I don't know where it is in the Bible but it's the one that says why do you why do you earn money to put it in a hole in a bag with holes and uh, why do you labor to buy bread and drink that doesn't satisfy and that whole concept of um you know, Jesus saying, "Come to me, and and buy bread that doesn't cost anything." So I don't know how you, how that works. How you buy something that's free, but or, and come and drink, um, and drink for free. And then I'm reminded of the the woman at the well, and Jesus said, "You know, come. If you would ask me for a drink, I'll give you a drink." Um, and you'll never thirst again, mm. and you'll you'll drink living water. And I really feel like God wants to do something for us today. Um, and and Mark's been talking about the fire of God, and and um, but sometimes for some of us, we just need to drink the living water that that Jesus has for us, or eat the bread that satisfies. And the bread is the word, I think. And sometimes we just need to hear. God's word for us, and and for some of us, God's word for us might be, "I love you," or "You're my child." I've paid the price for you. Stop striving, and come to me. In Matthew eight, there's the story of the the man with leprosy, and this is a man who's completely ostracized. Um, and it says, when they came down. From the mountainside, large crowds followed him, and a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, 
Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And I believe the word for us today is that, and Jesus is saying this to each one of you today, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man and he said, I am willing. And he said, be clean. Thank you. And so, whether it's living water that you need, whether it's the voice of God that you haven't heard for a while, or whether it's the fire of God, or you just want Jesus to touch you, I believe that we should just, um, if the musicians would like to come, and um, let's just enter a time where we just open our hearts to God and just say, Jesus, would you touch me fresh? Would you? Thank you. Would you reach out your hand? Lord, I am unclean. Lord, there's areas of my heart that I've been holding back from you, Lord. There's areas of my walk, Lord, that I've been holding back. Um, would you come and touch me with your fire? Thank you, Lord. And make me clean. Why don't we stand on our feet this morning and just respond to God. Thank you.